0: I want to invite you to grab your Bibles this morning and join with me as we turn to the gospel of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 2, the first gospel written to the Jews, the gospel that was written to bring good news to the Jews about that king that all the kings of this earth reject. They, They rage against him, his reign And his rule. And as you're turning there to Matthew chapter 2, I just want to ask you, I'm interested this morning, and just to pause and think for a moment, you know. I'm just wondering, how many nativity sets have you seen uh, this year? Um, And your home, Christmas parties when you've gone over to someone? If you were to total them all up, I mean, the ones that are on display outside of churches or inside churches, um, are there less or are there more? I mean, I always watch that, right? To see where's the, the pulse of the community, right? Because, I mean, we're saturated with vivid displays of snowmen and reindeer and every other blown up creature you can imagine outside of homes and Christmas trees and lights and wreaths and laurel and all of that just saturating us with the message of Christmas. But that's not the message of Christmas, Right? It's the nativity sets, the crushes. How many of those? When you when you just stop and think about it, and you drive through, we drive through. We, I love to sometimes get in the band. Sometimes when they were little, you had to load them all in there and and drive throughout the neighborhoods and see all the lights. And but how many how often do we see the the message of Christmas on display, the word being proclaimed? I'm I'm grateful that the testimony of Scripture is displayed inside and outside homes and churches and. Our community, it's a revelation, it's the news that God sent His Son into this world. And, and it's worth celebrating, it's what Christmas is all about. But I know there's many, they, they drive by those well-lit nativity scenes. And they drive past some of the live ones that churches will put on. And, but really, they, they could care less about the significance of the message that's being proclaimed. I mean, it's just neat, right? They're indifferent to the significance of, of what it means that Christ... Was born. And then sadly, some actually see it as a threat in our society, right? And so they litigate and do what they can to, to, to get it uh, removed from any public arena. Uh, remove that message. I guess it's a, it's a rival message to their belief system. So let's just ban it all together, I guess they would say. You know, Matthew is going to present to you and me this morning a similar situation. Three groups of individuals that were faced with the revelation of the birth of a precious baby, the birth of a king. And Matthew's intention, of course, in writing his gospel, he's introducing the king of the Jews to the Jewish people. His his gospel was written to the Jewish people. And, and of course, he starts there in chapter 1 with the son of Abraham and the son of David, the son of God who was born to Mary. You see... The important thing, though, is this isn't a gospel limited, to just the Jews. In fact, what's fascinating is you have Gentiles in chapter 2 that are aware of the birth of this baby. And they come seeking. They come seeking to discover for themselves. And so, in reality, Matthew's presentation, though, written to the Jews to say the King has come, the Messiah has come, the promised anointed one has come, it's really a message for all the world to see and hear. And to believe. In fact, that's not surprising because when you get to the end of the book, right? What's the great commission? It's to go into all of the world. To all the ethnic peoples out there. All the ethne. And tell them, declare to them the the truth. That Christ has come. And you should become one of his disciples. That's what we're commissioned to do. But the real question for us this morning is, is, though I see the nativity sets. Though I see, and I've seen it, and I've grown up with it. Do I seek to know more about the significance of the one that was born? Do I seek to know more about that infant that was born in a manger? Do I earnestly seek after God? Now we know no one seeks after God, after, unless God first seeks after them. But, but do I thirst and do I hunger for Jesus? Do I thirst and hunger to know? Do I pant for him, as the psalmist would say? Do I pant for the living God? What evidence is there in my life that I seek after him and I desire to know him more intimately? There's some this morning, listen, let's be honest with ourselves. We have so much access to the the light of the world, the light of truth that has come to us, and yet our attention is not seeking after him as it ought. If we're honest, we, we, we're we seeking after things that really are vain pursuits. And, and they'll never really satisfy the hunger of our soul. They'll never satisfy the longing that's within us. They'll never help us really have find significance and meaning and purpose in life. But he does. Because you see, this God sent his son, and he's the one we're supposed to seek after. And that's what happens here in Matthew chapter 2. Now, this isn't at the birth. This is perhaps a year year and a half after the birth of Christ. But what's significant is that Gentiles come. They, They come seeking after the one who's born king. And that's my prayer this morning, is that we'll realize there is a God that's worthy of everyone in this room, everyone watching online, everyone who's listening to the sound of my voice this morning. He's worthy of you and I seeking after him. And your presence here this morning is really him seeking after you exposing you to the truth and reality of who He is. And you may have driven past these nativity sets and and seen Him and seen Him and never really taken any time to really take in and think deeply about them. But He's trying to speak to us this morning and say, I'm here and I'm worth seeking after. So I want you to stand with me. We're going to read this section and then I'm going to walk down through it. So stand with me in honor of the word of the Lord because He is a God who is not only worthy, He's worthy to seek this morning. Now... determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them back to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, as mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Lord, we thank you today for this wonderful truth, the light, the light has come and father, we give thanks that you opened our eyes and helped us to see the truth, the significance, the meaning of this creche before me, this nativity scene before me. God, what your word describes and tells us, Lord, that the Messiah has come, the one who is the king. Now, Lord, I pray that we've all bent our knee this morning or bent our hearts to surrender to him today and Lord, if we haven't, then my prayer is that your spirit would even now work on us, Lord, convict us, Lord, that we we would surrender and yield to you and recognize that you're a God worth seeking after every day of our life. And Lord, I pray that your word would now speak, your spirit would speak to us, and we'd hear the voice of the living God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. Matthew tells us about these Magi, pilgrims from the east. Some would say they were stargazers, educated men, sometimes considered the wisest men there in the land. Why? Because they studied the stars to understand the seasons and other things that would happen. But something unique has happened. There's a star in the sky that has captured their attention. And so they've gone on a journey and they've made their way They had watched the stars for years, but one special star appeared, something different, unique, unusual, shining light. And so they determined, hey, let's pack up our things and let's go see what this star means. They arrive there in Jerusalem and they arrive in town and they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews. How did they know that it was to be the star for a king? Had God had a plan when he exiled his people from Israel and sent them to Babylon? When they took the word of God with them and took the word there to Babylon and there in that region, the wisdom of God was displayed as greater than the wisdom of this world through Daniel and some Hebrew boys. And there perhaps they shared the truth of God's word, the Torah. Was it there that they read or understood that the star that Balaam spoke of in Numbers 24 would represent the star of a king? Was it the light that Isaiah spoke of that would shine upon the Gentiles in a day that would also shine for the people of Israel? Whatever it was, we don't know specifically, but we know God spoke to them, revealed something to them that they should inquire and seek after this one to whom star had appeared. Well, as they arrive in Jerusalem, they begin to traverse the streets and they're inquiring, just think, asking shopkeepers, citizens walking up and down the streets, just the general populace, asking, where is this one who's born king of the Jews? And as they begin to ask those questions, the people get a little bit anxious. Well, what are they talking about? Well, Who is this one that's born king? Someone, has there been a birth? I mean, we're in Jerusalem. We're in the capital city. If you'd go anywhere to find the king, you'd go there, right? And so they arrive. And what we discover is not only are the people anxious and maybe a little bit nervous, but there's also one who's particularly interested in their inquiry, the king. But he's not the king of the Jews. He's King Herod. And he represents those that reject the revelation of a king. Could you imagine? Imagine a, a limousine, a convoy of black limousines pulling into Statesville. They pull into Walmart parking lot after going through Dysfunction Junction, right? <laughs> oh, avoid it today at all costs, beloved. I've got some shopping to do. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> then they head down to City Hall... They go inside individuals with a large entourage. They come out after a couple hours and then they head up maybe up north on 115, somewhere outside the central school area, and they pull up to a home and and they go inside and they say, Excuse me, we're here to see the one who will be the president of the United States. It's a child or a grandchild that's there. What do you think the parents' reaction would be? Or the people's reaction in Walmart, or the city officials in town. That's essentially what has happened. This large entourage has come to town. They, they're, they're asking, they're inquiring, where, where, where is he who's born king of the Jews? People are baffled. What are they talking about? But the king is particularly interested. Now, you notice it says that he is the one, he is Herod the king, lowercase. You see, he shouldn't be reigning and ruling in this place. Why? He's not a Jew, at least, not a full blood Jew. He's from Edom. He, 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 he's a descendant of Esau. He, he's not a true son of David. He's not supposed to be reigning. He's not supposed to be ruling over God's people. In fact, they resent him, they despise him. And they also fear him. Why? Because he does crazy things. He, he'll slaughter a whole town of innocents, as we'll discover at the end of this chapter he's a puppet king he was placed there put into his position by the authorities in rome why would he reject this one that every that this these magi are seeking after why would he be so worried about this king well it goes back to the story of two babies two babies that wrestled in a mother's womb two babies that wrestled in the womb of rebecca when it was said there in genesis that the older shall serve the younger before they were even born. When it was revealed that, that, that Jacob would, would long for the birthright and all the privileges associated, but Esau would despise it and not be worthy of the birthright that he had. In fact, he traded his privileged position for a cup of porridge of soup. It would continue to the end of the book of, uh, of the Old Testament, Malachi When God would say, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. There was a recognition that, that yes, they were sons of Abraham. But the blessing was to Isaac and Jacob, not Esau. You see, Herod was a ruthless type. And that was a threat, posed a threat to his reign and to his rule. And he had already demonstrated what he did to those who posed a threat to his reign and rule. He had slaughtered them. He, he killed his own sons. He killed his wife. And he, in fact, he married nine times to achieve political position. And, 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 and as he did that, anything that got in the way of his reign and rule was eliminated. Now he's in his 70s. His life draws near to an end. And, and here, another usurper arrives on the scene, right? This is the one that Isaiah spoke of. Unto us a child is born. A child. Unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. You see, there's one that was going to be born in a cradle that was destined to wear the crown. And to wear the crown forever and ever. He's the king of the Jews. He's the Messiah. The Messiah, wait a second. If he's the Messiah, he's not just the king of the Jews. He's the final king. He's the anointed one. That Psalm 2, that... that, that Winston reminded us of, he's the one that the kings of the earth shake their fists at. They they reject his reign and his rule. They want to tear his fetters from them. And, And yet God just laughs in heaven and says, what are you doing? In fact, here's an invitation. While there's time, do homage to the son. Acknowledge who he is. Recognize who he is. Bend the knee and acknowledge he's the one who ultimately reigns and rules. See, many rulers have rejected. Many have been unwilling to hear what God may say. Many are unyielding to his revelation that he is the sovereign one. And how often we act like Herod. God reveals something to us and and we reject what is to be God's will and, and want to continue on with our plan, even trying to manipulate and thwart and change our plans, just as Herod tries to do. And yet, you will not succeed. Herod didn't. Even when he tried to succeed. You see, God is worthy to seek. And there's some who have no desire to seek after him. There's some who are apathetic to seeking after him. I mean, the Magi come. They're searching for the king. Herod needs to know where he was born. What are they talking about? And so what does he do? Well, he he calls for the scribes. He calls for the chief priests. I mean, the people in the know, right? Get the theologians in here. Let's ask them the question. Certainly, they know the answers to these questions. And they should have been asking more questions. But he inquired this one question. Where is he to who was to be born the king, the Christ, the king of the Jews? Where is he to be born? They know the answer. They know the Old Testament. They've studied the scriptures. It's just six and a half miles down the road. Just, just an hour and a half walk. 13 minutes in heavy traffic, right? No, Just, no. He, he's there in Bethlehem. That's, that's the place where the Messiah is to be born. That's what Micah has told us. But if they knew that, why had they not camped out there? I mean, if Micah had said, listen, the one who's going to be born king of the Jews, the, the one, the ruler who will come forth, who will shepherd my people Israel, why, why had in their study of scripture, why had they not more earnestly sought the birth of that one. I mean, you could just sit camp outside the, the hospital ward there, right? And, and wait and, and expect the arrival, the birth of the, of the Messiah. But it's been hundreds and hundreds of years since any revelation had come from God. I mean, this is the amazing thing. These foreigners come, these magi who've seen a light in the sky, they come with a burning, hungering heart. They, they want to know where's, the, where's he been born? Where is he? And yet those who are the closest to the scriptures, those who have studied them the most, those who know the answer to that question, apparently are apathetic to the reality of that birth and the truth of that birth and the reality that it is going to happen. I mean, they should have been asking more questions, not just where is he going to be born? And maybe, maybe they did, but the significance of the answer to those questions didn't change their lives. I mean, it's not just where is he to be born? Who is he to be born? I mean, this child that is born, this son that is given, that, that the government will rest upon his shoulders? Who is he? If, if he's a son who's given to us, is he deity? I mean, the shoot comes from Jesse. We know that, but, but who is this one that, that will come? Not just who is he? When will he be born? Is, is there any clue, any insight as to when that will take place? No, there should be an expectation in your hearts. It could be at any moment. No one knew when specifically he was going to be born. It would be on God's timetable. It's the same thing with the coming of Christ the second time. It'll be on God's timetable. Does that mean we just camp out and wait and just go about our own business? We Well, we'll know. No, there's an earnestness, an expectation, a seeking, a longing, looking in the skies. Today's the day. It could happen today. Before Christmas tomorrow. And you don't get to open up all those gifts under the tree. And it's not a bummer (laughs) if he comes, because he's the greatest gift. But but why? That's the question, really. Why would this child be born? Why would this son be given? Because he's the one to bring peace. He's the one to bring redemption. He's the one to reconcile lost humanity to its maker. He's the one to bridge the gulf because we're estranged from him. We, we don't seek after him. And we need someone to change our heart's desire so that we long for him and look for him. And here's some magi. They've traveled months to find this one who's been born. They've come many miles at great expense They've sacrificed their livelihoods, their families. And here they've traveled over those dirty, dirty, dusty uh, desert roads. And now they're here. It really challenges us to stop and think for a moment. Because we see, we know so much. We we have so much access to the word. But how much do I really hunger for God? How much do I really thirst to know Him? And listen, not just know Him, but, but what His will is for my life. To know his ways and and, and to passionately pursue righteousness. I mean, listen, if we're a disciple, our priority in life is to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness that goes along with it. It's scary because, you know, you can be doing ministry in the name of Christ and be far from him. That's scary sometimes to stop and think about. But praise God, there's a few who rejoice at this truth. At this God who, who makes himself known, the Magi, willing to travel, willing to endure the hardships. And God gave them a special sign. I, I believe he probably spoke to them through his word. So when that light dawned, uh, the light to the Gentiles dawned, uh, they saw it. And they came inquiring. I mean, their human wisdom of the stars was not enough to bring them to the Messiah. They needed some revelation from God and God gave it to them. And when the word came to them, a message came to them. I mean, as Hebrews 1 tells us, God spoke in a variety of ways. In a lot of diverse manners. And however he spoke to them, he spoke to them. And and they came to see the work of God and what he was doing. But this was a message of revelation outside of Israel. This was a message to the Gentiles. Why? Because God's desire is that none perish, all come to redemption. That's everyone in this room, everyone watching online, everyone listening on the radio. God's desire is that you and I seek after Him. And that we seek the Savior that He has sent for us. Some came from a distant land. Why? They wanted to worship Him, not just get to know Him, find out His identity. No, no, Though We have come to worship Him. We have come to magnify His name. We've come to humble ourselves before Him and acknowledge who He is is. You see, they've come and when they come, they're rejoicing. It's strange that that that, that's not what they find in the city. That's not what they find in Jerusalem. You know, they hear the report from 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 the scribes. Go down to Bethlehem. That's where you need to go. Herod tells them secretly. Listen, listen, I want you to go down there and when you find him oh, you make sure you tell me where he is. Give me the street of Jess, please. I'll be right there to worship with you. We know that's a lie. That was not his intention. Why? Because later he will massacre the innocents. But they, they depart and they go. They just follow the revelation God gives them. They, they go there and as they're going, they, they, they find a, the star leading them even further. Leading them right to the place. It stood over the place where the young child was. I know we... We bring the Magi in the Nativity. They weren't there at the birth, y'all. That was the shepherds, okay? But they still came seeking. It just took them longer to get there. So I listen, I don't know how early you came to seek after the Savior who was born. Or how later in life you came. But His desire is that we seek after Him. And that we come. And when we come, we do as they did. They just followed the light that God gave them, the, the light they had. They just go in obedience. They, they, they go, and when they get there, they give. They, they give back. They give a sacrifice, something that they deemed valuable to the one who was worthy of their worship. They enter in. Yeah, could you imagine Mary and Joseph, what they thought about that moment? Who's this great big entourage outside of Bethlehem? We don't get this in the little old city. Who is this? And they come into the house and, and they just want to bow before a child, a toddler. Now, some of y'all are going to see some toddlers here in the next day or two. And, uh, and when you give them a gift, man, it's like, right? But they give this child, this toddler, some gifts. Recognizing who he is. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Gold because that's worthy of a mighty king. Frankincense, because that's what a priest would need to minister with. Myrrh, why myrrh? Oh, because see, this one is born to die. This one is born to offer himself as a martyr. One who would die in our place to purchase our redemption and redeem us. And they offer those sacrifices and and, and they give freely and then they rejoice as it says in with a joy, a great joy according to verse 10. An exceedingly great joy. Is that what happens when we behold our king? When we think about him and we contemplate the one who came to die for you and for me. Because see, that's what Matthew is revealing to the Jewish people. This is what he is revealing to the Gentiles as well as this gospel will go forth. This good news would go forth. I mean, the shepherds had the responsibility to go and tell. And they went and said, this is an extraordinary thing that has happened. Come and see, come and see, come and see, they marvel. But this is years later. and Evidently, the message of the shepherds had not really changed a lot of people's minds. Not all hearts. But now, here are the Magi. And they come. Matthew reveals this truth Not just in his gospel to the Jews. He reveals it today to you and to me as well. Why? Because this child that was born was born to be king. And you and I are invited to bend our knee while there's time. Because there will be a day where everyone will bow their knee. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. I mean, it's why in the midst of a service we pause at the end and we say... Is that you today? Are, are you the one that God is speaking to you? Are you the one that God is trying to get your attention? Things that are happening in life. And then, and then you, you come to a point where you realize there must be more. And God's word speaks to you and helps you to see and helps you to realize. The spirit of God says, this is for you. And, and you recognize, you know what? I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I've been reigning. I've been ruling like a little king, a little queen over my little fiefdom. And I've been trying to manipulate things for how I think reign and rule should be. And not even taking thought of the one king who reigns eternally in heaven on his throne there by the Father. And and the Spirit of God convicts us and we say, I realize I need to bend my knee. I need to put my little scepter down and acknowledge he's king, not me. He's king. He reigns and rules. He calls the shots. And see, everyone in this room, all of us have to make that decision for ourselves at some point where we acknowledge he's God and we're not. Here's the amazing thing. This king has demonstrated that he is willing to die for you and for me and to purchase our redemption. And if we will surrender to him, he will make us a part of his kingdom. He'll make us an heir and a joint heir of his kingdom. We don't deserve that either. That he would die to save us and then die to give us this privileged position as the children of God. Why wouldn't we accept that invitation? Why wouldn't we respond to this truth? That he came as a savior. You see, this king is able to cleanse my heart. This king is able to save my soul. This king is able to transform my life. This king is able to bring peace. Listen, between my maker and myself. Why wouldn't I yield to him? The only way you can is by repentance and faith. Repentance is saying, listen, I am a sinner. Not just I've done sins. In my heart, I'm a sinner. But I am inclined to this way, to living for myself and my selfish desires. But, but I, I, want, I have a change of mind. I see and I realize Jesus is the Savior. And when when he hung on that cross, by the way, what was the inscription above his head? The king of the Jews. That king died, and he died there. And it was the centurion who was right there at the foot of the cross. He was the only one, really, that recognized, truly, this is the Son of God. And he died there. He hung there for you and for me. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Someone has to pay the penalty for sin. And it has to be a payment, a perfect sacrifice. And sadly, none of us in this room can offer it. And I don't want to offer it. I want one to offer it for me. And the one that did that is Jesus. He paid the penalty, and then he offers in exchange. If you will repent, if I will repent, say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But I believe you died on that cross, and I want to put my trust in your sacrifice. And I want to surrender and ask you to be my Savior and Lord. The Bible says that we are born again, and we become part of his family, and he saves us. He clothes us with a righteousness that we can't achieve. and, And that means we're right with God and that we have been bought with a price. We belong to him. You see, this child that was born was a son that was given. Upon this table was a creche. It's a nativity scene. It represents the truth about the king that was born. But the one that was in the cradle went to the cross to die. Last week when we celebrated the Lord's table, it was a reminder of what he did for you and for me. He gave his life and he gave us a promise in blood that once you're his, you're always his. And he keeps his word. Now, beloved, listen if, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then, then maybe today's the day you need to get that right. You need to say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to put my scepter down. I'm going to acknowledge he's Lord and I want to surrender to him. The Spirit of God's convicted me and I need to repent and ask Christ to be my King, my Savior. And maybe if God's Spirit has spoken to you today, now's the time, in a moment, our pastor's going to be here at the front, and the pianist is going to come and play. We're not going to stand, we're not going to sing. This is time to do serious business. Do I? Am I seeking after that King? Am I seeking after His kingdom? Am I seeking after His righteousness? Because maybe I'm a believer this morning, and I have surrendered to the King, but you know what, my life isn't demonstrating that really right now. I've been living for my own purposes and I I need to get that right. That's why we have a time to make a decision if we've heard God speak. Why? Because God's desire is that we walk in obedience and that we walk by faith. And you have to take those steps to walk after him.